0: Welcome to 3AM, a a learning opportunity through conversation furnished by the MacFarlane Group. We record in the Relationary Marketing Studios at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. 3AM is a podcast conversation driven to bring the best stories about solutions from social impact superstars. Our intent through these conversations is to optimize your impact as you disrupt the status quo to make the world better. Now, why do we call it 3AM? Frankly, because so many of us wake up in the middle of the night with questions, concerns, inspiration, and sometimes regret. And at that time, 3 a.m., well, it's the time in a person's daily cycle when the body intersects the work of detoxification, rest, recovery, and planning, according to the traditional Chinese understanding of how the body works. The 3 a.m. podcast captures the moments these social impact leaders awake to wonder, dream, pivot, or assess their efforts— to make the world better. Their stories will help all of us in this work of seeking justice. For this episode of 3AM, I enjoyed, well folks, quite frankly, an inspirational conversation with the founder of 1715 Sports, Michael Peters. His organization has a creative solution to a social challenge plaguing young readers by making sure that elementary students in the third grade are reading on at least the third grade level to reverse lifelong social challenges found in this simple distinction between learning to read and reading to learn. 1750, more broadly, serves our youth with their peace, love, and sports clinics and their girls in sports initiatives. Michael believes our youth deserve a place, a purpose, and people in their lives— His brand new social impact organization does just that. He talks with us about this adventure, building and launching 1715 Sports. There's so much to inspire us. So let's jump in. I'm happy to have Michael Peters here of 1715 Sports. Michael, you are a Nashville native Glencliff grad, is that right? Yeah? Yeah. Um, and you graced both the campuses of Harding and Lipscomb. That was nice to give those guys a break. I appreciate that. I'm sure they do, too. Anyway, I'm really glad that you're here. You're going to help us understand what it's like to take this urgency— From your heart and your spirit, move it into some seeds, plant those seeds, and now uh, moving forward into really what is a a startup in this social impact space, kind of down the lane of the nonprofit or not for profit. So, welcome to 3 a.m., Michael.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, you were very kind to say, yes, we are beginning to work together. And I think I asked him as soon as I heard what he was doing, visited the website. We had a really great conversation. I'm like, you've got to come on and share this. This is going to be so helpful to the people who are listening. So let's get right to it. How did you decide to pour your talents and your energies into the literary space for children?
1: Well, I came back in 2015. I was in Dallas for four years when we first got married. And uh, we had a, uh, a little baby girl, a 13-day-old girl, and we moved back from Dallas, Texas, uh, to my home, to Nashville, where I grew up. I, I lived here my whole life, other than those four years in Dallas and a couple of years when I was at Harding, and I came back to a new Nashville. A lot of great things uh, are happening, the growth, the, the businesses, the new restaurants, especially for someone like me, I love the new restaurants. Uh, but I came back to also a different Nashville. Uh, 2015, the murder rate spiked. We went from about 48 murder-a-year city to an 83 murder-a-year city. And a lot of that was around teen violence. And so here I am preaching full-time at a church in 2015, and I keep seeing these kids Moving out of the neighborhood, going to new spaces because uh, rent wasn't affordable in a neighborhood that they always lived in. So they're moving further out and in, uh, in kind of greater Nashville area, Antioch, Bordeaux, Gullettsville, Hermitage, places like that. And then we just kept seeing sad, tragic news story after news story involving the youth of Nashville. And so that ate at me for about two years. And in 2017 was kind of the breaking point. We hit the triple digit murders in Nashville, 107 And uh, 22 of those were under the age of 17. And so I asked the question, and and my family asked the question, and me and my wife thought about it. You know, uh, what can we do to make Nashville a better place for everyone, especially its youth? We're a thriving city, and so all the youth of Nashville should be thriving, we thought. And um, through my experiences of working with children and at an after-school program, and we ran across a research paper called Double Jeopardy by this guy named Donald Hernandez. And the statistics just blew me away of what it means for a kid to be at reading level at third grade. Uh, And the statistics are overwhelming that kids that are at reading level at third grade have a lot better chance to succeed, and kids that aren't, the statistics are are really doom and gloom. And uh, and so, you know, stuff like uh, a kid that's not at reading level is seven times more likely to not graduate high school and 17 times more likely to be incarcerated. And so we asked the question, you know, why aren't there more programs offered in Nashville for kids that are not in reading level by third grade? And so that kind of uh, started down this adventure of 1715 sports was uh, moving back to Nashville and seeing the uh, kind of the growing pains we we're having. And, and also uh, coming across this research paper that said kids are a lot better off if they get the support they need and the tutoring they need to be at reading level by third grade
0: if by third grade they aren't reading to learn, then all the structures that are laid out for them uh, in their K-12 world kind of collapse. So, wow, this is so inspiring from the first couple minutes that we're here. So you move back in, you see that your hometown has changed quite dramatically, and rather than find another place to live, you dig in. I appreciate that. I want to talk about the powerful mission statement of 1715. So I'm going to go ahead and and read it. It's right off their website, which everyone needs to go visit. Give me that website address.
1: www.1715sports.com.
0: Perfect. So here's what you're going to see. The purpose of 1715 Sports, then, is not to focus on ways to remove youth from their home environments or to ask them to assimilate with other social classes and demographics, but to empower them with the tools and resources needed to overcome the challenges within their own environments And that seems to really be reflected in the core values also of 1715, if I may, their quality, innovation, and relevancy. So can you talk about those core values for just a minute?
1: Yeah. um, One of the questions or one of the quotes that we started 1715 with was by Andy Stanley, and it said this, to reach people no one else is reaching, you have to do things no one else is doing. And so, that's kind of in our DNA is we ask the question, why aren't these kids being reached? Why aren't these kids at reading level? And then we try to come up with quality, relevant, and innovative ways to do that. Um, You know, we want to think outside the box, and we want to look at Nashville and say, hey, what problems are kids having? And let's come up with quality, relevant, innovative ways to solve these problems.
0: So, Let's go ahead and dig now into the programs. One easy way to describe it, Michael, is taking the art of reading and the fun of sports and combining that together and using that as an innovation leverage, uh, but also kind of tapping into what it is to be youthful um, so that there are incentives, but it's also fun. There's a release of energy. You learn about leadership. So talk to me about how you put reading and sports together?
1: Well, growing up, I didn't like reading. And so one of the things I thought was, what would motivate me to read? And in a lot of ways, the ability to play sports. If I didn't make the grades, I couldn't play sports. Uh, my parents would ground me if I didn't do good in school. And so I had to read to do that. Um, and then, I, you know, I found my love for reading by reading things about sports. I did my senior research paper in high school on John Wooden because I Thought I was going to coach, oh, and uh,
0: such a leader,
1: and just having you know the sports was interesting to me, and that's when I started reading. Um, and so that was the thing that I really thought I was like, what can motivate kids to read, you know? And and I really thought three things: uh, you give them a purpose, you know, the purpose of your reading is that you get to play this game. Uh, you give them a people, you give them a tutor, one on one, someone they can connect with, someone that cares about them. And so when they sit down at a reading play league. Uh, they're going to get a one-on-one tutor. It's not going to be, hey, you go off in a corner and read for 30 minutes by yourself. You're going to read with a one-on-one tutor who is going to be trained in uh, helping you understand to become a better reader, helping you with tactics or, you know, ways to say, hey, this is what we become a better reader. And so that's kind of how that was birth was this is how, as a young third grade boy, how Michael liked to read. And that's how, basically, I came up with the idea of Read and Play.
0: I love that cuz it worked for you so why not take that model and try to make it work for other kids you know you hit on that thing that I think just is one of those holy grails of engaging the learner where the learner is sometimes we think that's really just about skill level really not about interest and for you I like how the how sports really kind of opened up so much to you about leadership and and coach wooden and also just it was a, just an easy thing for you to access the learning. I think that's terrific. So will you walk me through? So I have a third-grade class in Metro. I have a third-grade class, and I have some readers at different levels. And I know about 15 sports. Walk me through how I get involved with your program.
1: Yeah, so we try to do uh, based on clusters to make sure we have enough kids for a league. So we do at 28, and we'll go to, uh, say, the Antioch Cluster and we'll go to all the elementary schools and we'll say, hey, anybody in first, second, third grade who are below reading level, please give them this information, or if you know a kid who needs help. And so we try to get with the counselors, with the parents, uh, with the teachers, with the administrators at the school, and say, hey, send us kids that really need it this way. Now, we'll never turn a kid back. If a kid, you know, reads at a fourth grade level and he's in third grade, he can still play in our league. We don't want to be like, well, no, you're too good of a reader. Because if a kid wants to read, then he can be in a part of our league. But we really are targeting kids that say, hey, they need the extra help. And uh, we hope over a seven-week period, seven, you know, sessions of reading one-on-one with a tutor is going to give them the help they need. And hopefully in the, you know, in our dreams and plans is that we offer that three times a year in three different sports. And so we kind of hit all different kinds of interest levels in different sports, but also we get, you know, a kid can read 21 times with a tutor in a year, uh, and hopefully that's the extra stuff they need to help improve their reading level.
0: Well, and build confidence and collaboration and friendships and have other people in their lives feeding some love into it. You talked about, uh, when we were discussing things a little bit earlier, the peace and love and sports. Can you talk about that Kind a trifecta?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that kind of broke my heart in 2015 was an organization I was close to had a young lady uh, actually get murdered in the middle of the day over a Facebook fight on a teacher conference day. They had an in-service day, you know, and crime rates. We, we saw, you know, they know the study that after school for teens, crime rates Uh, just go through the roof because they don't have places to go or things to do. Uh, And a lot of nonprofits that are built for after-school programs are are closed during when school's out because they just don't have the staffing, the organization. And I've been in the middle of those after-school programs when kids were out for Thanksgiving, I wanted to be with my family for Thanksgiving. And so, you know, a lot of nonprofits, that's their time for their staff to recharge and and take care of themselves. And so we came up with Peace, Love, and Sports. And basically, from 9 to 12, any day that Metro's out of school, it's a high-quality sports camp, volleyball, football, basketball. We usually tell the kids that, hey, this is a basketball camp or this is a volleyball camp. And sometimes we do an all-sports camp, and so, you know, an hour would be at different sports. But from 9 to 12, it's a sports camp. At 12, we have uh, lunch, and then after lunch, we have a motivational speaker. Somebody come in to kind of say, I broke the cycle, or this is what I do, or uh, someone in the educational realm, or someone to kind of motivate the kids. And then after that, this is kind of where the innovative part comes in with the peace, love, and sports is we have a peace clinic, just like a sports clinic where we practice sports. Uh, You know, we understand that as a coach, if I ask a kid to shoot a free throw for the first time without practicing it in the middle of a game with the pressure on, he's probably not going to be a great free throw shooter. And I think it's the same thing, living a peaceful life, living a nonviolent life, that if you're asking someone for the first time in the middle of an argument, in the middle of the neighborhood with no adult supervision, hey, let cooler heads prevail, or there's a way you can use your words and not a fist. There's a way where you can, you know, walk away. Uh, I think you're not going to be very good at it. But if in the middle of our peace clinic, if you practice it, if we give you the tools you need and we give you, you know, and we come up with drills for these nonviolent, peaceful ways of living. um, And so we come up with drills. So you practice it, you get to do it in an environment that is fun and, you know, we kind of do it in an innovative way. Uh, We got some real talented people working on the, what we call our peace playbook. But we hope that that will translate later on to kids in Nashville growing up wanting and being better at living a nonviolent life because they've practiced it in our environment and they have the tools to know what it is and why they should use them.
0: You approach this so intuitively, but the ways you're going to go about to chip away at the problem and create a solution are really ingenious. Thank you. For learning and fun to be together, and sometimes for kids, that's a mutually exclusive proposition. is absolutely wonderful. So we've got some after-school stuff going on, and then when the schools, uh, or it's holiday time, there's a way for, for students to stay involved in a sports-slash-peace camp, which— Wow, I think we all could go. Th- can anybody go to that, Michael? Or it- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come probably, on. We probably all. We can might get put you to work if that. you don't. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that because I think what you are opening up to the Nashville community, and and I can certainly see this as a as a scalable and replicable kind of program to go across the the country, if not the world. Um, what components do your programs require?
1: Yeah, the biggest thing is for us is uh, right now we look for places of hope to partner with. Uh, And we call places of hope. We don't want to really, if you don't fall in this category, we don't want to say, oh, you're not a place of hope. But for us, we uh, schools, churches, community centers— uh, neighborhood organizations, uh, sports, youth sports organizations. Uh, that's really who we seek partnership with now and say, you know, hey, how can we come together and offer something for the kids that we serve? And maybe how can we lighten the load? That we understand that if you're an educational organization or after school program, you might not have a recreational opponent. But that's what we're here for. We're here to partner with you. We, you know, we want to be a social impact organization with other social impact organizations. I you know, love that. Uh, when we, I started 1715, one of the things that I did not want to happen is I didn't want uh, someone to suffer because we started. We want to be a blessing to the social impact organizations. We didn't want to trade places with another organization that might not be as innovative or creative, or they might be tired because they've been working for 15 years, and we're fresh and new, and we come in. We didn't want to be like, hey, we're going to take your place. This isn't, you know, we didn't want to be a dog-eat-dog business. We want to be someone that can partner with people.
0: Can we say that again? That's so striking, Michael, and I really appreciate that. I think sometimes when our mission is very focused and we've been at it for a while and maybe there's even some fatigue set in, it's really easy in this space to become quite territorial. And I don't think people set out to be. I just think that It can get overwhelming and your heart's in it and you've poured everything into it. And for you to say that nobody would be put out, uh, nobody would have to discontinue because this fresh face, this fresh innovative idea had come in, but rather to be relational and try to integrate, you know, we could sing that from the mountaintops. That's just fantastic. Thank you for, for looking at things that way. I want to go back kind of to the beginning, just in a a small little section of how-to. So when this idea was growing in your heart and in your mind, what three moves did you first do to create 1715?
1: Uh, First, we talked with other nonprofits and said, hey, uh, is this needed? Would you look for a partnership with, with an organization like this? Two, we looked and seen if anyone else is doing what we're doing. And if that was the case, then we were going to join alongside of them and say, hey, you know, this is what we have to offer. Can we join you? And then the third thing uh, and the third move of creating 1715 um, was we, you know, we we actually asked the question, uh, what would help the children of Nashville thrive in Nashville? What do we want to do, you know, because we we like doing sports and, uh, you know, Nothing I, I do all the time is I go and watch sports games and, you know, and I'm around kids coaching stuff like that. And so I wanted to make sure this wasn't, hey, this is what Michael wants to do or this is what, man, it would be cool to have a job like this. Uh, but will this really help the kids of Nashville thrive? Um, and so those are kind of the first three steps of, of, you know, a mini. But the first three was, you know, is it needed? Who can we partner with if, if someone's already doing it? Uh, we don't need to recreate, you know, the wheel to do this. Let's. And then third is: is this something really the children of Nashville need?
0: The uh, notion sometimes of sports, uh, particularly if you if you read some of the education policy literature, it can seem kind of gender specific sometimes. What I really enjoyed when uh, we chatted, and also when I was combing through your website, which is really fun uh, to go and experience, was this particular piece about girls and sports. And I think just to wet the whistle of people and pique the interest of folks so they go to your website, I have to read you the first line. When you click on Metro Girl Sports um, Initiative, it's, We don't want to come across as blaming or pointing fingers, but the state of girls' basketball in Nashville seems to be that only the top 20% of players are good and taken care of by AAU teams, trainers, and other offerings to improve their game. If you look at the results of this position, you'll see that this is not working. Metro has those. And this is not just Metro. Let me be really clear about that. I think in all school systems, few girls are playing at a high level. The problem is that the other 80% are not offered or can't afford these opportunities. And therefore, they aren't ready skill-wise to achieve greatness on the court. So it's about the playing. But as we talked a little bit earlier, the research shows that sports benefit all young women, but in these more marginalized communities, that is a particularly important component in their development. Can you speak to that?
1: Uh, yes. You know, this is kind of my passion. I, I really thought for, if you would have asked 22-year-old Michael what I was going to do and for the rest of my life, is, I thought I was coach girls basketball. You know, and, and that's kind of what I did for the first four years after I got out of college was uh, coach girls basketball. And to be honest, I was at a private Christian school in Nashville. I was the uh, assistant varsity coach and the middle school head coach. And we were very good. We went to the state. We won a state. We had girls play college basketball all over the state of Tennessee. Um, and we noticed that when I would go to Glencliff games, because I'm a Glencliff, you know, I'm a fan, you know, the level of basketball was not good, you know. And it wasn't because the girls weren't athletic. They just didn't have the foundation, you know, and I started looking into it. Well, why is that? Well, if you think metro schools, for example, 50% to 60% of kids are on free or reduced lunch, meaning that their family makes less than $30,000 a year. Well, I have a buddy who has a daughter at a private school in Nashville, and I ask him to, you know, between AAU and workouts and travel and equipment, how much money do you think you spend on your daughter to play basketball. And he says about 2500 a year. Well, so for a kid to get the same training in Metro that a private school kid in Nashville gets, their parents have to spend basically 10% of their salary. And that's if you have one kid. What happens if you have three kids? You, then can you do 30% of your income to make sure the kids get the foundation? And so we thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more efficient way to make sure not just the top 20% get taken care of by AAU and get the foundation training they need, but What can we do with the other 80%? What what can we do with, you know, the seventh-grade girl who maybe she's trying out for volleyball for the first time, and all of a sudden she gets thrown into a game against, you know, a kid from a different county that's been playing volleyball since they were four. Well, the foundation is there for the girl who's been playing for five years instead of the seventh-grader, and so how can we help them catch up? And then the benefits of a girl playing sports— Uh, The research is through the roof from leadership, the confidence they get from developing leadership and being a part of a team, uh, body image, girls that play sports, uh, doesn't have kids out of wedlock, stuff like that. Like it's just the nature of how much benefits it is for a girl to play sports in high school and middle school. It's a no-brainer that we'll make an initiative to make sure we get as many of them as possible. And some of the reasons they don't is because they don't want to go against another school and get beat by 30 points because that's not fun for anybody. Mm -mm. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that we really are looking into is how can we give the training and the foundation to all kids, no matter their skill level, not someone that I just, you know, I look at them and I say, oh, I need to develop more time in her because she has a lot of talent. Well, for us, even if you don't have the talent, but you want to learn how to work hard and you want to how to do things right and you want to have the foundation and the fundamentals, uh, then we'll teach you that, you know? And and you might not be the fastest person in your class. You might not be, you know, the most talented person, but that doesn't mean you can't learn the fundamentals and have a good foundation in sports by doing that. And so that's kind of where that Girl Sports Initiative came from. You know, boys are offered three times more opportunities to play sports than girls. Families will spend three times more money on their boys than girls to play sports because they think it's a return in investment because the boy might go pro one day and this money's worth it but there's no chance for a girl to go pro they think Uh, and so we don't want to spend money on that and especially in you know low income neighborhoods that's a a mindset that we've had for decades you know that boys playing sports they can go pro girls playing sports you know is kind of uh, you know a waste of my money
0: Well, and you reach into that landscape and you really debunk it, you really say sports is great and there will be that, what, 1%, I don't even know what the percentages are from people that go on and actually make it for a living, but that the leadership that happens, just the confidence building, just to try it, being on a team. There's a humility to being on a team. When you know that your work at a particular position can really have a, make a difference in the overall outcome of, of something, um, that's also workforce development. If we just flip it ahead, you know, five or 10 years for some of these students... And it is kind of nice to have bragging rights, like yeah, we beat them, <laughs> or we almost got them, or. And again, there's that affirmation from uh, adults that's positive, but there's also expectations. And this is a terrific landscape that you have um, created, not only for the literacy piece of it and the importance of that, uh, particularly with the undergirding of research through the double jeopardy piece, but also just looking with a really clear eye as to how to make things better in Nashville and taking two components that are in a child's world, right? The classroom and the playing field. Whether the child is gonna go on to either be in the NFL or the NBA or the Olympics or any of that stuff, it's really, you guys really have decided, let's leverage what play looks like and having fun, but meeting some expectations and following some rules and and living within some structures. So, what does success look like for you in terms of 17, 15, you know, in its present day and then the impact you hope to have?
1: Um, we talk about the three P's a lot in our board meeting and our strategy, and that's uh, a place, a purpose, and a people. And uh, that's kind of what we want to give, you know, each kid that we come in contact with. We want to give them a place where they can be safe. Uh, We want to give them a purpose, a purpose in life. And with that purpose, we want to give them the tools to succeed. And then we want to give them a people. Uh, It's it's a special thing to be a part of a team. It's a special thing to be a part of a group. I learned this when I was at the after-school program one time, kind of this two worlds collide, that the Glencliffe football team was going to get in a fight with a local gang, and they were going to meet at a park. And actually, two of the kids got shot. Now, they lived— but they got shot. It was on the news that uh Glencliffe football player shot at a park. And one of the moms called, and she was frantic. She saw it on the news. I, I was at the middle of the community center. I had no idea what was going on. And she said, is my son there? I said, yeah, he's, he's here. And uh, she said, oh, thank goodness. And she told me what happened. And those three boys decided to come to their place, the community center, because they had a purpose there, and it was their people, instead of going and doing bad and getting themselves into danger. Uh, And so I always think about that. If you give kids a place, a purpose, and a people, then they'll do what's right, and they'll avoid a lot of the things that could get them into trouble. You know, uh, I had a grandma of my best friend would always tell me this. She said, one boy, one brain, two boys, a half a brain, three boys, no brain. And, and I've been there. I, I've been in the middle of that no brain situation where you get three guys together and you think, man, this is a good idea. And it was the worst idea in the world. Uh, but if I have that purpose and I have a people to say, no, we're, we're about this and I have a place to go to, then I think you can start making a difference in kids' lives. And, and, and that's worked for us, uh, worked for me for many years of giving kids a place, a purpose and a people.
0: This is such an inspirational conversation. I feel so fortunate. What can the greater Nashville area or for anyone, uh, our listeners who are not in the greater Nashville area but are around the country, how can we support the work of 1715? Uh, yeah,
1: we come up with two metaphors all the time when we talk about in our board meeting. Is that uh, one we're laying a foundation? We're a new social impact organization. We we launched December the tenth with a kickoff dinner of uh, twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah twenty eighteen. So you know we're we're nine months old, ten months old, something like that. So we're we're laying a foundation, and uh, a foundation if you're building is, you know, a house is like four to six weeks. You spend more time on the foundation than any other part of building the house. And so, you know, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a foundation. And two, we're a baby. You know, we talk about being a baby and all the things a baby needs. You know, a, a baby needs a lot. But also, you know, one of the best parts about being a baby is that they have no sense of reality. And so they still dream. You know, my, my five-year-old can sit in a room And dream about a better place and dream about, you know, her toys coming to life and dream about, you know, being, you know, a queen, a princess and dream about a peaceful world. And so that's kind of, you know, where we're at. We're like, we understand we're a baby and we know there's growing pains and we know there's a lot for us to learn. Like, you know, we're going to touch the stove sometimes probably as being a nonprofit. Uh, But we also love that we're young and we still can. Uh, dream of a better world, and we can we use our imagination. And the older I get, sometimes I forget that. Mm-hmm. I, I forget to use my imagination. I forget mm-hmm. that it, it is possible to make this world a better place.
0: Well, it sounds like it's beautiful. It sounds like you give space to thinking, which you're exactly right. We can get really bogged down by the procedure. So if you had just a very, very brief how to. Because I'm thinking, as you all lay your foundation, that's becoming a 501c3 and that wonderful file 1023 Mm -hmm. and the board and the bylaws and the governance structure and kind of all that stuff, thinking about funding, et cetera, in an easy to remember way. What could you share with folks who are listening who have this idea, feel an urgency, want to do it right? What would you tell them to do?
1: I would tell them to study, to just kind of dig deep into what they want to do. Two, I, you know, I asked the questions this, I, am I needed? Because Nashville has so many nonprofits. Does Nashville need another nonprofit? Uh, am I willing? You know, I, I just don't want to be successful. I want to I have stamina. I want to be here for the long run. You know, I don't want to be like, well, that was two good years of my life. You know, I, I want to retire doing this. And I had to ask that question you know, early. And I might not, you know, my wife might be like, you're spending way too much time making no money. You need to get a job. (laughs) But, you know, am I willing to do this for the long run? Not just until another idea comes along. And then the third thing, and I'm a big good to great guy. Mm. Uh, I love Mm -hmm. Jim Collins. And I asked myself, you know, what can I do better than anyone else in the world? And I think that's kind of where we started. You know, I thought we could, you know, love the kids of Nashville through sports better than anyone else in the world. And that's why we started it. And so those are kind of the three things. Uh, but I, I would study, listen, read. I got three guys. I call them my foundation committee. I got three guys that I meet with at least once a quarter. And one of them I talk about, you know, nonprofit stuff. One of them I talk about life with. Uh, one of them I talk about my faith with. And it just kind of grounds me, you know, that I say, hey, what do you see in this? And, and I let them examine me. I let them question me. I bounce ideas off of them. And that really helps a lot, like having someone that— I would call experts in their field are, are very successful, you know, and just kind of bounce off my ideas and say, what do you think about this?
0: That's a great foundation that you've put together yeah. for yourself. So let me ask you, Michael, what keeps you up at night?
1: Well, the easy question is my two-year-old son, because <laughs> uh, he's on the sleeping pattern where he um, About three o'clock, we'll wake up and want to get in bed with with mommy and dad right now. But after he wakes me up at three o'clock and I start thinking, I I go back to this poem by Ian Hughes. It's called A Prayer for a Child. I'm going to just read a, a couple. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a couple of them. And we pray for those children who never get dessert, who have no safe blanket to drag behind, who watch their parents watch them die, who cannot find any bread to steal, who doesn't have the room to clean up, whose pictures aren't on anybody's dresser, whose monsters are real. And we pray for the children who spend all their allowances before Tuesday, who throw tantrum in the grocery store, who pick at their food, who like gross stories, who shove dirty clothes underneath their bed and never rinse out the tub. We pray for the children who has the visit from the tooth fairy, who doesn't like to be kissed in front of the carpool, who squirm at us at church, whose tears we laugh at and smile can make us cry. And we pray for those children whose nightmares come in the day, who will eat anything, who never seen a dentist, who aren't spoiled by anybody. We pray for the children who go to bed hungry and cry themselves to sleep and who live and move but have no being. We pray for those who want to be carried and for those who must be carried. We pray for those who we never give up on and for those who don't get a second chance. We pray for those that we smother and for those who will grab a hand with anybody who will lend it kind enough to offer, we pray for those children. And so that's what keeps me up at night. Uh, is not just me praying for kids who don't have anybody at their ball games. Uh, one of the lines that get me is every time is we pray for the kids who have no, nobody has their picture on their dresser or doesn't have a room to clean. And so what keeps me up at night are knowing that in 20 miles of me in greater Nashville, there's kids who go to bed hungry. That there's kids who, who can't afford, who would love to play a sport, but can't afford it. And so I just want to pray for them. I want to be a part of their lives. I want to be face-to-face with them. One of the things we talk about all the time at a board meeting is, is this face-to-face idea. Uh, to be in a kid's heart tomorrow, you have to be with them today. Uh, to be, you know, to be in a donor's—or to, to make a donor tomorrow— you have to be face-to-face with that person today. Uh, to be partners with a group, you have to be face-to-face with that partner today. Uh, and so we wanna be present and just the people that we need to be face-to-face with. Uh, but we, what keeps me up at night at 3 a.m. is knowing that there's kids out there like that. Um, and we wanna know how we can get them in our gyms, how we can teach them love and hope and peace, and how we can support them in their education endeavors.
0: Michael Peters, you're a treasure of 1715 Sports. Thank you for your wisdom, your heart, and your vision for our youth here. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us at 3AM. Thank you. I am wiser and inspired because of this conversation with Michael Peters of 1715 Sports. He shared with us his humility and leadership through the story behind the making of 1715 and his confidence in how his organization delivers its mission. The 1715 Sports Organization can fit so many interests we know volunteers have. So check out their website at 1715sports.com. Our time is up for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Relationary Marketing and the Nashville Entrepreneur Center for their continued support. My name is Deb McFarlane Enright, your host on 3AM, a production of the McFarlane Group. Please subscribe to our podcast for my takeaways from each and every one of our conversations. And let me hear from you. I'd love to know what you're thinking. Follow us on social media to see what we are all about. Thanks again. More coming your way to help you optimize your impact in making the world better, disrupting the status quo on 3 a.m.